Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for this Lord's Day that we get to gather together. Uh, Father, it is our joy and our glory to be your church, your chosen people, your people set apart as your possession to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to a world and to each other as we are so much in need of the gospel truth that we get to display. We pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom and help as we endeavor in this hour to understand more about what your word says, uh, how we are to do that in our parenting specifically. Uh, Father, we pray in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Okay, so uh, one of you already mentioned concern that I was going to reteach last week's lesson, and I wasn't sure why that was a concern until it was pointed out that it's last week's date at the bottom of the handout. That's just... <laughs> Hopefully that's the only error on the handout, but no guarantees. Uh, And it was supposed to be Pastor Randy uh, teaching today, and he is homesick. Not homesick, but (laughs) homesick. So he's not with us this morning. So we we switched up the order, uh, and I'll be doing uh, training and instruction in parenting, and then in two weeks he'll do discipline and correction in parenting. Okay, so, uh, actually to start, uh, I received uh, some feedback, a little bit of feedback last week, and good feedback last week. It sounded like it was uh, good that we were endeavoring on this topic, which we trusted it would be. Uh, But it was mentioned that uh, I maybe was a little bit easy on the wives uh, compared with the husbands. (laughs) And that was probably, okay, due to two things, I was rushing towards the end and uh, I'm not a wife, so it's, it's just a little bit more natural for me to be, you know, hard on the position that I'm in. That's kind of my habit. But uh, Scripture is no less demanding of moms and wives than it is of husbands. And I think I didn't actually take the time last week to read, probably because we were running short on time. So open your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. And really, just the, the words that uh, Peter writes, that the Holy Spirit gives through Peter here, uh, will reinforce the, the weightiness and the, um, the lift that it is uh, for a mom and for a wife uh, to discharge her responsibilities. Uh, and this comes in the context, by the way, there's, there, there's a number of places in Scripture where chapter breaks, which are not in the original, are maybe a little bit unhelpful. And this is one of those spots. Uh, So if and when you have a chance, look back in chapter 2 and see how that feeds into what uh, Peter says to wives here in chapter 3. And and just so you know, the, uh, the, the verb that sort of governs this whole section goes back to verse 13 of chapter 2. Be subject for the sake of the Lord to every human institution. So this is just a continuation of that thought. How do wives do that? Peter explains here. So he says this, In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, and so there's that category that I address sort of as an aside, that they're going to be you know, women who don't have a believing husband, they're going to be women who are single moms, and that's going to be its own challenge. But this is speaking to the wives specifically, including those who have unbelieving husbands or husbands who are disobedient to the word, uh, more or less the same thing. That they, those husbands, uh, even the ones who are disobedient to the word, may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, as they observe your pure conduct with fear, with worship. That's, that's what that conduct is proceeding from, is a heart that fears the Lord, that worships the Lord. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on garments, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible quality of a lowly and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And you may, I'm not going to go into this far, but you may think back to 
the relationship between Sarah and Abraham and how Abraham, even who was righteous before God and an upright believer, wasn't the perfect husband. And Sarah submitted to him, calling him Lord. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children if you do good, not fearing any intimidation. And so, yeah, like I said, those words kind of speak for themselves in terms of the the heaviness of the wife's calling. Uh, And just picking up on that last word, intimidation, not that you feel intimidation from your children, but in terms of challenges to an ability, and this, this is across the board, not just women, but men, to respond with a quiet and gentle spirit, to respond with patience, kids are like one of the number one challenges in that regard. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is, this is going to be, you know, say a believing wife with an unbelieving husband and kids who are driving you crazy. You need to respond with a quiet and gentle spirit from a heart that's worshiping the Lord, not fearing any intimidation, whether it's coming from the disobedience of your children, circumstances you can't control, a husband who's not doing what he should do, Moms, it's still required of you that you respond in that way. Uh, and, and I bring that up also. It's sort of a good segue. So, yeah, not only did I maybe shortchange that last week, but it's a good segue into training and instruction. And I did make this point, and, and uh, it needs to be nuanced a little bit. Larry helped us remember towards the end uh, last week with his question comment that uh, it is the primary responsibility of the dad, of the husband, the buck stops with him to ensure that biblical training and instruction and discipline and correction are taking place in the home. Lots and lots of, of problems culturally and even in our families in the church are going to be due to passive husbands, even believing husbands who are passive in this and don't take leadership or, like Larry was saying, aren't even present. So yeah, the, the, the responsibility, the weight, the burden is heavy on husbands. But, and I did make this point, husbands have a primary calling most of the time, according to God's design, outside the home. And so who is going to do the majority of the training and instruction in the home? It's going to be the mom. And that is by God's design. That's by God's design. And I mentioned, so I I was using the faithful soldier analogy because I said, my wife often says she's in the trenches with the kids all day long. Uh, And and she's taking orders from superiors, you know, instructions from superiors, the Lord and then the husband that the Lord has placed over her. And she needs those instructions to be congruent, to be consistent, that if I'm asking her to do something in terms of her parenting, that I have a biblical basis to do so, so that I'm not contradicting the one who's over both of us uh, in terms of what I'm asking her to do. And I talked about needing to be communicative and regroup and, and, and check in uh, in terms of how that goes. But again, emphasizing the role of the mother as a faithful soldier in this, she's going to be the one, most often in most cases, facing the choice of how to order the schedule and activities and what goes on in the home in the day with the kids. Or, you know, after school, you know, if kids go away to school and come back, just usually in something, in a lot of cases, dads work later or gone weekends, uh, traveling for for business. Uh, In all those cases, most often it's going to be the mom who spends most of the time ordering those things and putting them into place. And it's going to be a temptation, that's why I put it down in these words here, to be your kind of good parent instead of God's. Uh, There are plenty of things that we can probably find where our kids' interests and desires intersect with ours that get us out or seem to get us out of doing what the Lord wants us to do. Okay, do you want to go to the movies or go to the pool or do you want to sit down and look at God's word together? Well, our flesh could lean in the same direction our kids' flesh leads, and that could seem like a pretty good parenting thing. We're all going to go have fun together. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's going to take intentionality. It's going to take being a faithful soldier to do the things God requires. And, and so that sort of leads us into the key thought for today. This, again, if, if you walk away with anything from this morning, let it be this, that God commands you to give, and you see there again, I've crossed out your and put his 
to give his children, which he entrusts to us as a stewardship, he commands us to give them his training and his instruction. And he's given us a lot of words uh, about how we are to do that. And he expects us to look at those words and to do what they say. So that is what we're going to do this morning. And we'll see that in three parts. Number one, we need to heed the Bible's warnings. Secondly, we need to obey the Bible's mandate. And then thirdly, wherever that is in my notes, we need to pursue the Bible's priorities. Uh, And I'm going to try not to actually hit all of those notes because then we won't get to the really practical stuff uh, you'll find, I think, is under um, point three there. So first, we need to heed the Bible's warnings uh, relative to what happens when we don't do this. Whatever our reason for not doing this, there is a lot of warning in Scripture when we don't. And so there's, uh, there's warning about the external folly of not doing this and warning about internal folly uh, that will come to bear when we don't do this. So first, external, the world will instruct and train in folly. And that's going to happen whether we are diligent with this or not. And the place, and this probably doesn't surprise many of you, the place where we find this the most is the first, well, it's really all throughout Proverbs, but especially the first, oh, nine chapters of Proverbs. Uh, This is really heavily emphasized. Uh, I'm just going to read here from chapter 2 a few verses My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. Discretion will keep you. Discernment will guard you. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the foreign woman who flatters with her words. And then listen to this. This is verse 19 of Proverbs 2. And, and I'm going to point out how the woman, the adulterous woman, is often representative, yes, of adultery, but also just of folly. She is calling people to folly. And what happens? Verse 19, all who go to her will not return, and they will not reach the paths of life. Now, that should be a, a gripping warning. This is talking about spiritual death and spiritual life. And of course, Proverbs, we see this all over, that intersects with practical well-being, an enjoyable life, sort of sowing and reaping in Proverbs also, but it has ramifications for eternal life and eternal death. All who go to that external call of folly do not come to life. They go to death. In terms of uh, the call to, from parents uh, to their children, Proverbs 6.20 is one in a long line of texts, and I'll mention a couple of others. Often in the first few chapters of Proverbs, uh, the first verse will be, my son, my son, my son, listen to my instruction. Don't go to the woman folly. Go to the woman wisdom. But in, in 6.20, it mentions both the father and the mother. Proverbs 6, verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not abandon the law of your mother. <clears throat> And oftentimes you can't tell the difference, and you're, you're even kind of like, okay, is, is Solomon talking about his word or is he talking about God's word? And the answer is both. They, those need to be the same, and you'll see that as we go through here. The content of the instruction of the father and the mother is the content of God's word. And so when you get to chapters 8 and 9 where the woman wisdom is calling and the woman folly is calling, what you've seen is... In all those chapters leading up to chapter 8, it's the father and the mother calling to the children whose heart has folly in it to come away from folly, even as they know that the woman folly externally is calling to the children and saying, if you go towards folly, you're going towards death. You see that over and over again. I don't know if I have that written out here. Let's see. I don't. Uh, But... Uh, like an ox to the slaughter. I forget which chapter that's in. Uh, it's, it's just this bracing language of death when you go to the woman folly. It's, it's absolute. It's destruction. Oh, yeah, so I do have this. Proverbs 
Yeah, Proverbs 9.18. So that's at the, towards the end of the description of the call of the woman folly, the one who goes to her, Proverbs 9, verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there, that those she called are in the depths of Sheol, the matter of, of life and death. So that's the external call. The woman folly, the world will be calling to your children uh, to get them to indulge in and to go after folly. Secondly, and, and this sort of builds the warning and the concern we should have, is that there's also an internal call, and it's your child's own heart. Your child's own heart will instruct and train them in folly. And here actually, so Proverbs 22, verse 15, I referenced that a moment ago, that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And you might turn to Proverbs 22 for a moment. Proverbs 22, 15, just the first part there. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And then you may be familiar with uh, what I'm about to mention. Certainly you're familiar with the verse, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Uh, And oftentimes it's rendered, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. That's not what it says in the original language. Uh, The original language uh, says something more like this, which I mentioned to Rodney, who's asking about the Legacy Standard Bible. And this is one of those places where I think it's just a little bit clearer uh, corresponding to the original language. And so this is pretty close to what it says literally. Uh, It says, train up a child according to his way. Train up a child according to his way. And in the Hebrew, it's actually according to the way of his mouth. Uh, which is sort of a a figure of language that's rendered well according to his way. So train up a child according to his way. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So there's just that verse by itself, there could be a little bit of ambiguity. Uh, And there has been in some of the interpretations back and forth. But if you look in context, there's more warnings including verse 15, which comes just a little bit later, that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So what is Proverbs 22, 6 actually teaching? That if you train up a child according to his way, he's not going to depart from his folly when he's older. And, you know, I don't think we probably need to go over too much uh, the doctrine of total depravity uh, and how that applies to children. But I will just mention, uh, I've heard this used many times, you have a question about whether or not this is true, put two toddlers in a room where one thinks that all the toys are his and let the other toddler play with them, and then tell me (laughs) if you believe in total depravity and whether folly is bound up in the heart of a child. You don't correct that. That's how they're going to be as they get older. And just by way of illustration, uh, the example of David's son, Adonijah, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, it says there, but his father, David, Adonijah's father, had never grieved him at any time by asking, why have you done so? And what did Adonijah do? It's in that section where Adonijah, behind David's back, tries to take the throne. And he gets caught, Solomon finds out, and Solomon actually spares his life, and then he returns to his folly and tries to get David's concubine for a wife, which is sort of a, uh, an effort to exalt himself again, probably an angle on trying to get the throne, so he's put to death. So there is a very real outworking of this idea that if you don't drive the folly out of your child's heart, you just train him up in his way, according to his way, when he's old, where is he going to go? Death. That's, that's just a startling illustration of that reality in Scripture. So there's, there's the warning. Heed the Bible's warning. There's going to be competition both from the world and from your child's heart. Competition for the wisdom that you're told to give them. So again, if we're not proactive in this, it's, and I, I used this this week, I forget in what context, but you guys may, some of you may recall the last time Stuart Scott was here and preached. He talked from uh, Philippians 2, 12, and 13 about the nature of sanctification, and there's balance in in those verses, but he was talking about the effort part when he said this, that the Christian life and sanctification is like trying to go up a down escalator. If you're not making effort to go up, you're going down. 
And that's going to be a similar idea here. Because of those warnings, because of the folly that's on offer from the world and on offer from your child's own heart, if there's not wisdom calling to them in the ways that we'll see practically in terms of the training and instruction the the Lord requires, you'll be in your parenting going (laughs) down a down escalator. It's, it's not going to just naturally happen. Now, there are certainly occasions, and I think I mentioned this last week, where the Lord just, and, and obviously it's always all of grace. These, these principles that we're learning today are God's gift to us. And there are certainly times when we do all of these things and the kids go astray. And there are times where you see kids come out of totally broken and unbiblical homes and are gloriously saved. So there are certainly exceptions to this, but Proverbs, and I think I said this last week, is full of these truisms and instruction about what God requires, and then, as we'll see, results that please the Lord and display his glory and fulfill his purposes proceed as a truism from the implementation of these faithful strategies and faithful instructions that the Lord gives in his word. So continuing on to that, number two, obey the Bible's mandate. And we see this in two parts. First, the content of the mandate, and then the glory of the mandate. So first, the content of the mandate is Scripture. And I thought later I probably should have just made that a fill-in-the-blank on your notes. (laughs) You can just write that in. The content of the mandate is Scripture. The content of the mandate is Scripture. Deuteronomy 4, I'm 6, verses 4 to 9, and this will probably sound familiar to you. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. So what do you teach? You teach the word, God's words. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall speak of them, God's words, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So how often are you to be speaking of God's words? Constantly, constantly. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as phylacteries between your eyes. And that's figurative language. Where should the word be? In front of your face, on your appendages. It's everywhere in your mind. Everywhere. It's it's where you live and move and have your being is in God's words that he has spoken. They shall be as phylacteries between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see them when you're going out. You see them when you're coming in. It is where you live and move and have your being is in the words that God has said. We see this also in Psalms 1 and 2, which is the introduction to the Psalter, which is the prayer book of God's people. It is the cries of our hearts. It is theological truth about God. It is, it's what's given to us for our worship. It's, it's maybe supremely within the canon the, the, the book that is oriented towards our worship. There's other places, certainly, that instruct us about how to worship and how that looks in different periods of God's history and how God has built the gospel. But the Psalms is our worship proceeding from our hearts. And so that's part of the introduction to the Psalter is the content of this mandate. Psalm 1 How blessed is the man who does not, and notice the contrast here with the instruction and training of folly, as we've seen. So the man who is blessed who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But the one who is blessed, his delight is where? In the law of the Lord, in the law of Yahweh. And in his law he meditates day and night. So there again, how often? constantly. It's a merism. The two standing for the whole, day and night. There's not a time when this isn't consuming your thoughts and the content of your speech and your conduct, your parenting. In the law of Yahweh and in his law, he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, 
which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, including his parenting, he prospers. And so then, again, as an introduction to the Psalter, Psalm 2 is probably connected and was a whole with Psalm 1 uh, at one point. The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed. So here's that contrast. Where do you go if you sit and, and walk and stand in the counsel of the wicked? This is it, opposed to the Lord. That's what the rulers, that's what the world is trying to do, is take counsel against Yahweh and against his anointed. anointed. So there's a warning. So now, O kings, show insight, take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. So there's the eternal destruction for going with the counsel of the wicked. And again, remember the warning. There's an external call, and then there's the internal calling of the child's heart, which is bound up in folly, and that's where it's calling them. But, it says, how blessed are all who take refuge in him, who take the Lord's counsel instead of their own. And one of the reasons I mentioned this particular one is my wife has found Psalms 1 and 2 to be some of the most fruitful in morning family worship time uh, for instructing the kids. And this was a fairly recent story that uh, she was going through these. And, you know, something you can draw from, uh, especially the end of Psalm 2 there, is the only place that is safe from God is in God. And so Kelly was pointing that out, and Luke goes, Mommy, how do I get in God? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that is, I mean, that's the whole point here, is to get to those kinds of conversations, to have those kinds of conversations fill the content of your interactions with your kids. But that's not, again, it's not going to just happen spontaneously. So that's the content of the mandate, is Scripture, God's Word, God's counsel, because the counsel of folly, the counsel of the wicked is going to be coming from the world and proceeding from the child's heart. It needs to be diligently supplanted and contradicted and corrected and opposed with the counsel of Scripture. Secondly, the glory of the mandate. The glory of the mandate. And I put Ephesians 6, 1 to 3 as the uh, reference there. But I'm thinking actually about the, the book of Ephesians as a whole in terms of it telling us about our identity and our purpose. And as we've sort of done these Uh, Sunday school lessons refreshing on that. How do we live out our purpose as a church? How do we now live out our purpose in parenting? You've probably noticed Ephesians has been fairly heavily referenced, uh, and that's because it's all about the practical outworking. It's all about the theology behind this, and then the practical outworking of what we are as a church. So actually, why don't you open your Bibles to Ephesians for a minute, and I'm going to Like I said, try not to go through all of my notes on this so we get to point three. Uh, But I want to point out just a couple of things. Uh, First, in chapter one, chapter one, verse three, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then looking at verse 10, for an administration. What did he choose us for? An administration of the fullness of the times. So why an administration of the fullness of the times? The answer to that is because in previous times, things were different. And Paul gets to that in chapter 2. Is that where I got it here? Yeah, chapter, oh, actually chapter 3. So that's where he, uh, let me just turn there so I can make sure. Nope, that's two. I had it wrong. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 12. We, Gentiles, were at that time. So this is an administration for the fullness of the times. Previously, we were at that time without Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups one and broke down the dividing wall of the partition by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And so here's the key part. So that in himself he might create the two into one new man. And that's, that's what blows Paul's mind so much in Ephesians, is this whole idea of God making this one new man, the church, to be his priesthood, to be his mediator, to mediate God's goodness to the whole earth. And if you think about this in, in sort of big picture terms, man in Adam in the garden was to be that. Man was to mediate God's goodness to the whole earth. Instead, man fell and mediated curse to the whole earth. And then Israel was going to, going to be God's people to mediate blessing to the whole earth through their obedience, through their putting Yahweh on display for the nations to draw them to Yahweh. And instead, through their disobedience, Israel mediated curse to the whole earth. So there was always a remnant there was always a remnant that had the heart, but over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God says to Israel, you still don't have the heart. You as a people still don't have the heart to obey my commandments and to draw the nations to me. The church has the heart. The church is the first people, the one new man that has the heart, has received the spirit of supplication and of grace to mourn over our sins and to repent, and that's what the whole rest of the book of Ephesians describes, is how do we display this? How do we display the fact that we as a people have been given the heart to draw the world, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to the glory of God and the joy of all peoples? How do we do that? That's what the last three chapters of Ephesians are all about. And for parenting, we get to the first few verses of chapter 6. Let me see, where is this in my notes? We get to the first few verses of chapter 6, and we see that one of the key ways in which we do this, and we saw at the end of chapter 5 last week, is marriage. Another of the key ways we do this and show that the church has been given the heart, the church is different from the world that is under curse, and we draw the nations to the blessings of God is through our parenting. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And this should sort of make sense of why this covenantal language is in there, and he talks about the land, because this is what, it's all continuous with God's purposes throughout history, that we are the people, we are that mediator priesthood that is to draw the nations to Yahweh by doing what he put in his law. And one of those, of course, is obey your mother and father, which he says is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land, which, again, you'll hear that picking up those cues from Proverbs. What's life? You know, be it uh, earthly life, be it eternal life, wisdom is the call of life, whereas folly is the call to death so that you may live long in the land. And then you see the parenting aspect of this. Of course, how are the, how are the children going to obey what's right if the parents are doing this? Verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So again, hopefully you're seeing this build that we have the warning about what comes from the world and what comes from the inside of the hearts of our children. And then we have this mandate, the content of which is Scripture, and the glory of which is putting God on display, his blessings on display, the difference from the world in the hearts of our children, uh, in our parenting specifically, and then the effects of that in the hearts of our children. Uh, so let's see here. I wanted to touch also on 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. You might flip over there uh, real quick. 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. I touched on this last week. Uh, and as many of you know, and I probably alluded to, this is found in Paul's instructions to Timothy on how to tell that a man is qualified for eldership. Uh, so 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, one of the ways in which an elder is to be above reproach is by, verse 4, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity, 
But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Uh, Now, that's uh, a requirement for eldership, but as you've probably heard before, the requirements for eldership are uh, to be above reproach in these areas that are a requirement for the Christian life generally. Uh, It's not like elders are supposed to pursue this and no one else is. And what does Paul do there? He connects the outcome, a household where the children are well-behaved, not unruly, in submission to their parents, with faithful parenting that recommends a man as being above reproach for eldership. And so uh, that is, that's, you know, that's the connection that, that we're after here, is how do we see the outworking and how do we evaluate the outworking of our parenting in a way that lines up with what God says the results of faithful parenting should be. So those are connected. So that's it uh, in terms of uh, how did I term that point? Obeying the Bible's mandate. That's the Bible's mandate is that the content is scripture and that the glory is the glory of God in the church specifically. So how do we do that? Pursuing the Bible's priorities. And here is where we want to remember to avoid the temptation to be your kind of good parent instead of God's. Let God tell you how to spend your time with your kids. And like I said, this is, this is for moms especially because you're going to be uh, carrying the bulk of this burden in terms of the amount of time spent with the kids typically. So, Categories of training and instruction. First is scripture, and of course that lines up with the content of the mandate. Uh, First in this regard, biblically informed speech. You want to have biblically informed speech. This, of course, doesn't mean you have to constantly be quoting Bible verses, uh, although that's not a bad idea. Uh, It does mean that you need to model and teach what the Bible says about our communication. Uh, We need to keep short accounts of sin We need to walk in the light as God is in the light, have an open and honest attitude. And this includes about our sin. And one of the best things that we can do for our children in terms of our communication, the way we use Scripture, the way we use our words, is to ask their forgiveness when we sin in front of them. And I expect Randy will probably cover that some in discipline. Oftentimes, in a context where discipline is required, hopefully not all the time, but oftentimes you'll have to confess your own sin to your children even as you're having to administer discipline because there's been some kind of conflict and you've responded uh, not well. Uh, I referenced, and did I put, I put the cbcd.org as a place for references. Uh, You might write down, because I don't, did I put it on there, the four rules of communication? I did, okay. So that's a, that is a helpful uh, and, and even just knowing those headings is helpful. But if you want to listen to the full lecture, go in and look for communication lecture on the cbcd.org. But yeah, the four rules of communication, be honest. And these are, these are universal in your communication, but including in your parenting. Be honest, keep current, don't let things go. Address them when they're seen. Number three, attack the problem, not the person. You know, oftentimes we need to be reminded our kids are not our enemies. We are, we are trying to do what the Lord does for us, to, to lead them in the paths of righteousness. Uh, and that's something where we're for them and not against them. Attack the problem, not the person. And then act, don't react. And that is a huge one. We are prone to react, probably especially with our children. So governing that spirit in ourselves that wants to just leap out at them Uh, and correct them in a fleshly way, act and lead them in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even if that means showing them some of your wrath against sin. Because it's not wrong to have wrath against sin per se. You know, you've probably heard us often say, and it's true, that it's rare for us to have righteous anger. But it is possible. And when your kids are really going towards death, they need to see the concern in your face and in your discipline stepping on Randy's toes, probably he'll be teaching about that, in you as you administer God's instruction and God's training. So that's, uh, Scripture should be the the part of your training and instruction uh, in your communication uh, and in these ways. Family worship. uh, And did I put on there? I did, I think. Read, sing, pray. Just a, a simple paradigm 
for pursuing family worship. Uh, and this is one where I kind of expect we'll cover more details uh, when we do a Q&A in a few weeks. But I did put on there some resources, and these are all from my wife. She does the family worship time in the morning with the kids. And I kind of ordered these, I said, from roughly for younger, from younger kids to older kids. Uh, if I can commend one thing to you, and this would be as a family, although I don't think we've ever actually done it as a family, we just all know it from different contexts, but Kelly's gone through it with the kids, is the different versions of Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, so there's a kids' version, younger kids' version, an intermediate and a more advanced, is that right, in here? And so they've been all the way through the more advanced one. And so we can just bring up any character or situation that Christian faces in Pilgrim's Progress and use it. And often they're more attentive to that than they are to some other things in Scripture and use that as part of our training and instruction. Hugely helpful. The other thing that Kelly does with the kids in the morning, and this has been really beneficial, she'll just read repetitively a chapter or so. Sometimes if it's a longer chapter, a half a chapter of scripture, same thing every morning for like a month, and the kids will have it memorized by the end of the month. She was telling me this morning, she has to work on it separately. She doesn't learn it as fast as the kids do. <laughs> but they have, I mean, you can, how many chapters of the Bible do you think they have memorized? 19. So that's the kids just have 19 chapters of the Bible memorized from over nine years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't to tout I mean I'm, I'm grateful for what Kelly does it's not to tout her it's just to say our kids have an incredible capacity just reading that once a morning for a month they can memorize a chapter of scripture it's not something I can do but that's the way their brains are in the stage of development that they're in and it's a gift from the Lord so take advantage of that and then after dinner we sit down, uh, we're already sitting for dinner, and oftentimes I'll finish a little bit more quickly so the kids are distracted by their food and not trying to get up. Uh, and I'll open scripture. And I started doing this when Claire was in a little high chair. Uh, and just, you know, read, read something. Uh, and, and now it's a little bit more. Oftentimes it's a whole chapter, and I'll give some explanation. And I'll, I'll stop and question the kids about something in the text now, if that sounds intimidating, something that you don't think you can quite do at this point, just read a verse. And even between you and your wife, say, hey, how does this verse, uh, how do you think the Lord would want to use this to change you? How do you think the Lord would use this verse to want to change our parenting, our home? You know, ask those questions, questions like that. What does this verse teach us about God? How can we encourage each other about God's promises from this verse? Uh, read, read one or two verses. I mean, that's, if you, and even if it's just a matter of reading it and then singing Jesus Loves Me and praying together as a family, uh, and that can be before or after dinner. Usually our long prayer time as a family is before dinner. We eat and then we read and then we sing. Uh, but that just, and it's really something, the kids will object to not doing that. Uh, <laughs> oftentimes on Sunday, well, of course, if I'm at E4M, then that doesn't happen with me at least. Uh, but there will be evenings where we've already had a bunch of ministry and or it's Saturday and we're going to be getting prepared for Lord's Day in other ways and we don't do it and the kids sometimes complain. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a, it's a, and when I was gone in California most recently, they made you do it, right? <laughs> yeah, and so that's, a, I mean, I, accountability from your children is a good gift. They like those patterns. It's stabilizing for them. And I can tell you with Claire, she's 12, and she's at a point now where she's even talked recently about how the Lord uses that time to orient her heart and to correct some of her thoughts from the day. You know, it's just been, it's been fruitful. It's been fruitful. So start simply. You know, it doesn't need to be intimidating. It doesn't need to be all, everything. I just gave you some things in here that have been helpful. It doesn't need to be everything all at once, but do something. Put a framework, you know, morning and evening. That's how we found those two sort of touch points. And then that does inform your speech and your conduct the rest of the day. You know, we, even, even unbelievers, know that hypocrisy is not good. And so if you're prompting your heart in the morning and in the evening with something, it's going to inform you in your conscience. I need to be consistent with that. 
in my day. I need to come back and keep a short account of that sin. I need to address that thing that I saw. And so that's, that is an important way, is family worship. So that's training and instruction in Scripture, training and instruction in behavior, uh, and that is always going to start at home. Uh, it's going to be key that you lay the foundations in those ways that I was just discussing, but that needs to then proceed into behavior. And as I alluded to a moment ago from 1 Timothy 3, that's going to reflect in a lack of unruliness, in a tendency towards submissiveness. Uh, and generally, we, we want that to happen in public, and that's going to look different from context to context. I mean, I was thinking about this. I've been over in Uganda for church, and you guys, are, you guys have been there and are headed there. <laughs> and it's sort of chaotic on a Sunday morning, right? I mean, that's my recollection, is much more so than here. So the need for the kind of uh, orderliness and submissiveness and quietness can differ from context to context. Now, there are going to be manifestations of politeness and respectfulness and always submissiveness in Uganda that would reflect this truth, but it's going to reflect it a little bit differently. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 about what our liberties are for, they're to serve others. And that's where he says, I'm all things to all men. Not so that I can, you know, be pragmatic about the truth, but so that I can surrender my rights to serve others. I can give up my rights to serve others. And so, this gets back to what I talked, to, talked about towards the beginning of last week. Uh, we look for a, a general lack of unruliness and orderliness as submissiveness that we understand has traditionally been the case in the church and in the culture, and that is the fruit of the Bible's instruction on parenting. And, and we did have discipline and correction ahead of this. I think it's fine to swap them. You'll see that is going to be a key component in how we pursue orderliness, submissiveness, a spirit of submissiveness in our uh, children in response to our instruction. I'm just looking on here. I did not put the definition of obedience on here. I expect Randy will probably bring that up next week, but let me give you the definition of obedience. This is short. It's without challenge, without excuse, without delay, and with a willing spirit. Anyone need me to repeat that? The definition of obedience, without challenge, without excuse, without delay, with a willing spirit. Teach your kids the definition of obedience and then hold them accountable to it. That will have a result in orderliness, in submissiveness, it is, it is a grace of God, and we work this way with the government. We work this way with our authorities. They define what right and wrong are, and does that tend to have an effect on our behavior? Absolutely. Our children need that same thing. They need that clarity. They need that, and they are capable of coming into an orderliness, into a submissiveness to that instruction. Uh, so that's at home, at church, and this is really going to, I'm not going to touch on everything here, but one I will touch on is sermon training. Uh, and this again can come up later in the Q&A, but this is something I think we got partly from the Dars, we may have gotten it partly from the Schefflers, uh, but it's something that, that bore huge fruit in our home, just in terms of preparing our kids to be in church. Uh, and, and you can speak up Kelly, if uh, I get any of the details wrong, but generally what we would do, what Kelly would do, would be to sit the youngest children, and at first this was all the children down, in front of a screen to watch a John Piper or a John MacArthur sermon, something like that, and Im implement sitting still, whether at that point they were required to, you know, tally the number of times they heard God or Jesus, that was an exercise we would have them do, and then she could pause it when there was any hint of unruliness and correct it and give instruction, which we can't do on Sunday morning. And that bore huge fruit. And there were certainly times when we let that go for a time. There would be a Sunday when there would be a lack of uh, orderliness for our kids, and I would lean over and say, we have to do sermon training this week. 
<laughs> and it would, it, would, it would fulfill that purpose. It was hugely beneficial. So uh, with the resources and with questions on that, feel free, Kelly said, I asked if she wanted to say something. She said no. Uh, she said I wouldn't give her time, which is probably true. But feel free to come and ask either of us. She probably knows more than I do about the details of those things. But those have all been means of grace that the Lord has given us in parenting. And we, again, we saw parents go before us. And I think I mentioned last week seeing Matt and Emily Scheffler in the way that they had done some of these things with their children. And knowing already where we were with Claire, and she was probably not even a year, thinking that's not going to happen just spontaneously. And it hadn't with the Schefflers, and it hasn't with us, and again, not that we are a perfect paragon of parenting. <laughs> that was unintentional. Um, but the Lord has been kind, and this is just part of how the body works. Again, Ephesians teaches this is what the members are given to the body for, is, and the, you know, the, all the gifts are given to the church for the building of itself up in love so that we can fulfill that purpose, including in our parenting, of putting God's glory on display. So again, if you take anything away, take away that key thought that God commands you, this is not optional, to give his children his training and his instruction. And his instructions and his word on how to do that, we've barely skimmed the surface. So again, write down your questions. Uh, we, are, we will be planning the Q&A in a few weeks and uh, look forward to answering questions that come up. We're looking forward to that. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We confess, Father, that um, the volume of it can be overwhelming. And Lord, the, the task that you call us to, the work that you call us to, none of us is adequate for this work. Um, Lord, we, we confess that we're like Solomon, that we are like little children who don't know how to go out or come in. And Lord, how could we do this, but that he confessed in a context where he also asked for a listening heart, Lord, that he would be attentive to your wisdom and that it would be your wisdom that would instruct him in discharging his stewardship, in fulfilling the responsibilities that you had given him as king. And Father, you've given each of us stewardships, including in our parenting, Father, including as uh, church members who have the privilege and the responsibility of speaking into the lives of others here at Calvary Bible Church, including uh, especially other members and visitors as well, uh, Lord, that this truth about what instruction and training needs to look like for parents would be implemented, and Father, that the fruit of that would be uh, a difference in our homes from what the world looks like, that our children would be called consistently away from the folly that is in their own hearts and away from the folly that the world calls them to, the death that the world calls them to, and Father, that you would graciously save them by faith in the gospel that we put on display in front of them. And Father, that that would be the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.